Attention men, are you wanting to break free from porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, but finding it seemingly impossible to quit? If so, we can help. My name is Jonathan Darty, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. This three-day workshop is for any man who wants to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So whether you're married, single, or divorced, this powerful and proven intensive weekend will help you uncover what is at the root of your struggle and discover the man God always created you to be. Space is limited, so call us today at 210-822-8201 to register. That's 210-822-8201 or visit bebroken.org slash gtf. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Why does most accountability not work in recovery from unwanted behaviors? Is there a better way to engage others in recovery that does work? My guest today is Chandler Rogers. He's the creator of Relay, an online platform that helps you discover a team of support. It's built on two key principles that are foundational to recovery. One is connection, and two is teamwork. In our conversation, Chandler shares his own story and struggle with porn and the keys to his healing journey. We also talk about the importance of authentic community in recovery and how the Relay app can help in this quest. To learn more about Relay, visit joinrelay.app. For even more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And would you please rate and review the podcast after you're listening because this really does help others to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries, and Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now, let's jump into today's conversation with Chandler. Well, all right, Chandler Rogers, welcome to the program. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. Good to be with you. Yeah, I was excited to be able to kind of make the connection because it was interesting. It was, I guess it was like second and third parties that got us actually connected to yes. this conversation. <laughs> Um, but I would love to, I'd love to just dive right in to your story because eventually we are going to talk in this conversation about a pretty incredible resource that you have, uh, developed to help people, uh, walk in freedom from, uh, all kinds of compulsions and addictions and things like that. But first, why don't you just tell us your own story, um, and kind of what got you to the point that you're at right now? Yeah, no, for sure. So I, uh, I'm currently 25 years old, uh, been married for a few years, and my story goes back to uh, growing up. I was the oldest of five kids, raised in a very faith-centered, uh, Jesus-loving family. And I, I feel like as the oldest, um, it, you know, my parents were figuring things out. I love them. They did so many things right. I, I think I did feel a sense of expectation, though, that I needed to, to do everything, you know, as perfectly as possible, both when it came to faith and discipleship. Uh, when it came to school and, and other things. And so I, I just remember uh, actually first being exposed to to masturbation when I was uh, early on in high school. And we had actually had conversations openly in our house about pornography and, and kind of the importance of, um, I mean, generally avoiding sin, but also just kind of being careful and realizing that, you know, God, God wants us to be happy and successful. And, and there's one who doesn't want that for us. And we need to be kind of on the lookout. Um, and so I definitely had no desire ever of kind of being rebellious or, uh, you know, straying from, I guess, the happy path or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I think like kind of as my body was changing, like I, I kind of got exposed to masturbation and that led to pornography without really even realizing 
where where things were taking me. And by the time I realized that this had become a part of my life, I think uh, like the the most vivid thoughts that I remember having were ones of shame and continuing to think about like my parents and the values that we've been taught growing up in the church and um you know as followers of Christ like this is not something that they would you know like they they might freak out right if they knew that I was uh, you know looking at stuff like this or dealing with stuff like this and and so for a couple of years there in high school like I I was pretty consistently trying to to change and and to stop um but I was doing it all alone cuz I just felt so scared of of opening up to anybody and I don't know like I just felt like um like my self-confidence had taken a blow because I felt like I'd been able to be a pretty good kid and and do well in other areas of my life. And yet I couldn't get control over this one area. Um, and I think it really affected my relationship with God too, as I, um, I felt like, you know, he surely has to be super disappointed in me and, and ashamed or, or what, I don't know exactly what the feelings were, but, but I think this like really kept me stuck in this place of isolation. And so eventually I, I did, kind of bring myself to open up to my mom. Um, and I, I just remember that, um, you know, she communicated a lot of love, but she was blaming herself and feeling like she could have done more as a parent in preventing this from happening. Um, and so I know, you know, probably a lot of you listening are parents and have kids and maybe some of them have struggled, maybe they haven't. Um, but I, I know looking back that it, there truly wasn't anything that my parents did wrong or could have done different to to prevent or change the course of things. And, and I'm actually glad kind of skipping ahead to today. I, I'm really grateful for the the ways in which I was able to come closer to my savior and change my mindset from all of these kind of mistaken view, uh, I guess, viewpoints that I'm sharing about the first couple of years of trying to change and the false things I was believing. Um, and, and so I eventually did get involved with a local group based program um, and was immediately struck with how other guys there actually seemed pretty normal. And I guess I had this idea of only people who struggle with this have got to be like bad people. Um, and was pleasantly surprised that other people who also like are trying their best to, to follow God and, and be good and live good lives, um, were trying to change. And I think that gave me a lot of momentum. So I was able to, to break free, um, in the sense of sobriety for the better part of my senior year of high school. I actually went and, and served a mission right after high school for two years uh, for my church out in New York City. Um, and so during those two years, I was full time uh, essentially sharing the word and, and helping a lot of people actually who were trying to overcome addictions themselves. And so I think this also kind of cemented in my in my mind the idea that it's important to not struggle in isolation. Um, I'd seen in myself how harmful that was. And then as I was helping people in New York on that mission, um, to, to stop struggling alone and to not only turn to Christ, but to let other people band together with them, um, was so, so powerful. And I actually had, uh, slipped up again a few times and had some setbacks and, and was continuing like on my healing journey. And that was a frustrating part, I guess, of my story where I had seen some success or, you know, quote unquote success as measured by performance. And I think I was still learning this lesson of, you know, what does success really mean? Um, so I, I come back and I'm starting college and I'm still kind of struggling again. I, I go back to this group-based program um, to, to get some additional support and work with the clinician. And I think the lessons that I now learned in, in this phase of my story were more around, you know, we have this group that I was attending on Thursday nights. What am I doing the other six days of the week to really work together to have effective, shame-free 
accountability and to stay connected. So I realized that, you know, before uh, I left the house, before my mission, um, maybe it was enough to just kind of meet up on Zoom for two hours once a week. But I was realizing now that I wanted to go deeper in how I was trying to cut out isolation and really work together with these other guys. And so this kind of gets into the story of how I ended up working on Relay. Um, but through this experience, kind of realized like we were trying GroupMe and WhatsApp and other ways to stay connected between meetings and to work together effectively and and creating our own systems. And things worked to varying degrees of success, but inevitably things kind of fizzled out. And it was really um, tough for us to feel like we were fully utilizing each other as a resource. Um, I felt like my relationship had been progressing with God and, and I had been changing kind of my maybe my broken viewpoints on things from years past. Um, and I felt like I was making progress in a number of ways in my healing, but still was kind of struggling to figure out on a day-to-day basis, how do I not just like have this stuck in my head alone uh, without anyone else being involved? And so I, I guess fast forward to, I uh, met my wife uh, in college and we ended up getting married. So we've been married um, three years now, actually, as of a few days from now, I need to prepare for our anniversary. I don't have plans set up, which this is reminding me that I should. Um, a, a big part, I think, of the last stage of my story is how we navigated this in our relationship. So I, I decided to be open with her from when we were dating about my history and struggling with pornography and what I had learned about my recovery journey. Um, and I don't know, Jonathan, I can, I'm happy to go into more about this here, you know, now or, or whenever. Yeah. Um, Before we dive into some of the the aspects that you navigated with your wife. I'd love to kind of go back because a couple of times you've talked about just uh, some uh, some thought changes, some understanding changes that happened as part of your personal growth. <clears throat> what were some of the ways? So going back to, you know, pornography and some of the other addictive secret patterns that you were having while you were kind of doing trying to navigate all this in isolation. What would you say were some of the biggest uh, lies that especially the the whole framework of pornography was actually teaching you? What were some of the lies that it was teaching you about sex, about your body, about relationships, about God, about faith? You know, like how, how can you look back on that and say, hmm, porn wasn't telling me the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's so many. I mean, I think I was very aware early on that it was all a lie when it came to what is it teaching me about sexuality and the way that God has designed this beautiful gift to work in our lives and in marriages. Um, and so I, I don't think that was actually a huge part of it for me. Cause I kind of realized that this is all just like, like garbage. <laughs> um, but, but one lie that like really stood out was around just like the concept of like worthiness and purity and my relationship with God. I, I think I had gotten this picture through growing up in the church that if I had ever struggle with a more serious sin or, or, you know, that something like that, that I, you know, could certainly be forgiven through, through Christ and what he's done for me. But, but I don't know, like in my, in my heart, I kind of felt like I don't want to go off the deep end. Cause I, I am kind of lost to some extent, like in a somewhat permanent way. Like, I think I, I was not fully understanding the, the extent of Christ's mercy and, and his power. And so I was telling myself this lie once I started struggling, like, you've somehow crossed into this line of like really, really not goodness, like where, where God, you know, like he's just going to be ashamed of you until some, somehow maybe I pull myself back into the line of acceptable. Like, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but I guess just telling myself the lie that 
maybe I needed to earn a certain degree of sobriety on my own accord before I could receive Christ's power and strength and forgiveness and healing. Um, and I think that distanced myself and prevented me from accessing probably some of what God wanted to give me. You know, the instant that I that I did want to turn to him, I was kind of putting artificial boundaries around that. And I think that was mm -hmm. that was rough. And so then uh, by the time you when you did meet your wife, it sounded like you had already been doing uh, work in this area. You'd been part of a group for a while. And, and um, what were some of the things that you could say, looking back on that, that you had that you had learned to that point that are, were a real positive in entering that relationship with her? And then what were some still big key things that you learned as part of developing a relationship with her, if that makes sense as a question. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that I had really learned leading up to our relationship before that was, was around like the idea of a happy marriage and, and a relationship that I, I desired to have this idea, I guess, of a, of a, of a marriage where, we both helped and support each other to be our best selves and to follow God and, and, uh, and to be open and honest, I guess. And so I think part of what influenced me to be open and honest about this struggle in my life so early in our relationship was that I was already kind of in a healthier place where I'd removed a lot of shame and realized that, um, like I'm, I was very comfortable and wanted her to know that this was something that I was dealing with in the past and also that I was kind of still dealing with to an extent. And so I think that foundation of honesty and, and removing shame was really helpful in me being able to have a very healthy conversation with her early on that, I, I mean, it was still painful for her, but it really set a strong tone of helping her understand, not just like, like this vomit, like announcement of, Hey, I'm dealing with all this crap, or by the way, here's this big announcement, but I've dealt with this like hard thing that I never wanted in my life. And here's what I've learned. Here's how I've grown because of it. Here's what God has shown me throughout it. And I think, like if she were on the podcast, I know that she said this before to me that that really signaled to her a lot of confidence and trust. Of course, like she still didn't want to hear that, but mm -hmm. it, I think it made it a lot better and instilled the right note of optimism and, and looking in the right direction because I had learned that lesson to date. I think something though that I was still like, I don't know, like still getting pounded into my brain that I didn't quite learn still was that this shouldn't define my sense of self-confidence and like this problem didn't need to just define my life. I, I really think that I, at that time was still largely happy, dependent on how many days clean I was, you know, mm -hmm. and throughout our marriage and, and really while we were dating a big way that Jade, my wife helped me was helping me remember that like God sees this differently than I do. And I should try to pray to understand how he sees me and how he sees this situation rather than just fall into the mindset that, you know, I, I suck because I, I had a relapse last week. Um, and so that, that's something that I think has been helpful as I've continued to learn in our relationship that this doesn't need to define me. It also doesn't need to define our relationship. And that I think has been huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what does, uh, first of all, how would you define uh, freedom from, a stronghold or addiction or, you know, pornography. And then uh, what does that look like in an ongoing way 
in your life? And how would you try to, you know, explain that to somebody or, or demonstrate that to someone, especially for, especially for other guys that are still feeling like, man, I'm trapped in this. I'm, yeah. I'm regularly acting out. I'm, I, I do not feel like I'm experiencing freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think this definition is really tricky because a large part of me still feels like, you know, isn't true freedom, freedom from the unwanted behavior, freedom from the shackles of addiction as defined by the behavior that, you know, is, is undesirable. And I I think that is probably still an appropriate definition of freedom to one level, but I think it might be more helpful to look at it like an onion and there's different layers of freedom. And I think that that innermost layer that I think is way more important than sobriety and how, how many days or weeks or years clean you've been is this freedom from these false notions that I think we've just been talking about a lot of them. I I think as I've had a lot of friends come to me and say, Hey, like I had another slip up again. And they're, they're texting me this like every other day or every week, it feels like we're having the same conversation. One thing that I've tried to share with them that was so helpful for me was like, like, I think you can get free first, even if you're still slipping up three times a week, whatever it is, by changing how you're looking at the definition of a setback. Like, I'm sure that, you know, God isn't sitting up there counting the number of days that everyone's at that's trying to to get rid of one of these behaviors. I'm sure he's actually looking a lot more at our hearts and trying to understand um, how how are we seeing our relationship with him and his role in our healing process. I think that that first level of freedom is really accepting that um, that shame is not going to help us like at all. Like we just don't need shame. We need Jesus Christ and he is willing to give us his healing no matter where we're at in the process. If we turn to him, I think that that breathes the the first and most powerful level of freedom that is totally unrelated from how many, how many days you're at. Um, and so I think that that is maybe how I would try to define it, especially for someone that feels kind of stuck in a rut is stop counting days and start focusing on the heart and and what, how would God want you to see yourself in this situation? And I know that like framing it that way and looking for that level of healing, surely like, like an onion, if you keep peeling it back, like it, it will lead to the most outer layer of maybe you could define that as, you know, sobriety or freedom from the behavior itself. Um, so yeah, that's my on the spot analogy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think there's, uh, you know, sometimes we we also have to be careful of creating this false dichotomy between um, what we might call freedom in terms of the the aspect that we have a an, an identity that's independent from our behaviors, we have a worth that is, uh, you know, independent from what we do, and then thinking that you know behaviors over here and these things are like pitted against each other, right? Uh, because I do believe that. Listen. Who, who we are independent of our behaviors doesn't mean that those desires or that understanding of who we are has no effect on our behaviors, right? Um, but sure. what I'm hearing from you is you previously, when you were really kind of drowning in your, in the pornography and the masturbation, some of those kind of things, it sounds to me like there was at the very least confusion or distortion about your understanding of your identity, which then did have an effect on your behaviors. Yeah. So could there be a component of like, like I was, I was struggling more, I think when I was obsessing over 
it's like the analogy I think of like, if you're trying to not drive into the pole and you keep staring at the pole, you're probably going to steer towards the pole and hit the pole. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. It's, we're, yeah. we're obsessing so much on the unwanted behavior. It doesn't mean that behavior isn't important or, or a part of our identity. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds to me like what you're saying is, you know, uh, uh, and, and I've seen this plenty of times in our ministry too. Um, so many times the recovery environment kind of as a whole, generically and generally speaking, has a target that is behaviorally focused, right? The target is sobriety means don't do the unwanted behavior. What I'm hearing you say is there's actually a different and better target to be aiming for. And it has much more to do with the relational component. It has much more to do with the almost like the character component, like what's happening in in the deeper levels of your heart. So if you had to kind of put a pinpoint on what is, how would you describe that better target, especially Mm. for what you're doing through the Relay app and some of those kind of things, which we're going to talk about in a second, what would you say to that guy out there that is saying, but hold, hold on, my whole framework in terms of what I thought freedom really meant was stop looking at porn. Yeah. What would you say to him about reframing the target? Yeah. I I think on like a psychological layer, uh, I know a lot of clinicians will, will help people understand, Hey, you know, there, there's these different layers of, of stressors and triggers and how we, how we deal and cope with things that, you know, if we address those things, it doesn't really matter if, if your crutch is an eating disorder, binge eating, or if it's pornography or if it's smoking, um, let's try to get at the root of like, why are you turning to to that crutch in the first place? And that in the relay app, like that, that's a key part of, you know, helping people develop emotional awareness and, and leverage a group environment, not just to be accountable to whether, you know, you looked at pornography yesterday, but to be accountable to how did you do in identifying that main trigger that you mentioned the other week, which is maybe boredom. And, and you had a game plan for how to respond to that. And maybe that's more of the target of how, how did you kind of cope and manage in a healthy way with, yeah, whether it's stress, anxiety, boredom, loneliness, uh, whatever it is. And then I think there's this other component too of uh, if you think about like the outcome uh, and what we're hoping for is behavioral change, what are the inputs uh, that we can control? Because in a lot of things in life, the outcome is hard to control. Um, like, you know, going to school, um, you can hope for a good grade on the test, but you can control the inputs of what you study for and how well you're prepared with the material that you have access to. And so I think in that sense, focusing on the inputs and measuring accountability against those a lot more than the outcome is going to be more helpful, at least I found and what I found with a lot of guys, you know, if your input is some daily spiritual habits that will bring you closer to God and help give you like the right headspace to, to combat these false notions or, you know, these other things of exercise or prayer, um, connecting with a friend or your spouse or whoever it is. I think being accountable to that type of a game plan that's going to be customized to everyone, um, you have full control over those things. And I think that is where you can, you know, be accountable to to your behavior in, in a lot more healthy way, I think. So let's talk about that in terms of what did that look like for you in a very personal and practical way? Um, keeping in mind that I always like to tell people when somebody else is telling their story, it's more descriptive than prescriptive. Yes. <laughs> but I think some people still like to hear, okay, so Chandler... What did this look like for you? What did the shift look like for you to get much more focused on the relational components, on on you being in control of the inputs? What do some of those inputs look like for you? And then then talk about how that even maybe helped inform what you did in building uh, the Relay app. Yeah, I, I think, you know, my game plan is 
shifted and evolved over the years. And I think that's one important facet is I've tried to assess, you know, where am I at right now? What are the kind of underlying things that I maybe need to focus on? Um, And so like one example right now, um, I'm working a lot of hours right now uh, on Relay. It's become my full-time job, which I didn't anticipate beforehand. Um, I've struggled to kind of detach my self-identity and my self-worth to the outcomes of how Relay is doing and how helpful it's being for people and all these things. And so stress around work and anxiety around work has been a big thing that I've had to manage over the last 12 months. And so uh, what I found helpful in kind of my daily game plan to, to address that is exercise, which, you know, I exercised a lot growing up. I got out of the habit the last few years, like really bad, like essentially no exercise at all. Um, and I've, I've started to essentially be accountable to exercising five times a week. I know that that always helps me better manage stress with work. I found that connecting with my wife every day is helpful for our relationship so I can feel more peace and I guess just like confidence here in our home and not have to worry about, you know, whether I'm not meeting my, you know, commitments and obligations to her and work and, you know, feeling stressed like I'm letting the ball drop everywhere. So just kind of setting time goals is literally what we do. Um, I want to spend an hour with her today uh, or we've kind of predetermined what's going to work for both of us and our schedules um, so that we can feel meaningful connection there. Um, And then, you know, because of my faith in God, daily prayer, uh, daily scripture study, uh, those things I'm also tracking as well. So they're not crazy things to like, they're pretty basic. I exercise spiritual habits and connection with family um, and sometimes friends too. Like I want to make time for at least like one lunch to catch up with someone once a week is another thing that I try to focus on. When I, I know that when I kind of have all those areas in control, I'm a lot more equipped to, um, I guess, like stand strong in the, in the fight, I guess. <laughs> Not, I'm, I'm less susceptible because I'm managing my, my stressors. Yeah. So let's talk about Relay, how it came about and kind of what your, what your aim really is in terms of helping people through that, uh, that platform. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really came about as I just continued to dwell on, okay, in my recovery journey, I've gone to these different groups. So I've met now a couple dozen guys that I'm pretty close friends with and have their phone numbers in my phone. And we've met up for lunch and I know their, their wives and their friends. And, um, and it was actually a conversation with Jade early on in our marriage. And she asked me like, Hey, am I your only accountability partner right now around like your, your healing journey here? Are you still even keeping in touch with like all these guys that you've been open with and have built friendships with? And I just had this moment when I realized that I was still like not utilizing a support system that I was lucky enough to have that almost every other friend outside of a group setting that I'd opened up to who hadn't been to a group, uh, they would say that they literally felt like they had no support system. And so I was kind of reflecting on how, you know, maybe the vast majority of people for one reason or another um, don't have a group accessible to them, or it's a little bit too high of a step to take right now. Maybe it feels a little scary uh, or for cost reasons. Um, and even those who do have groups, I just continue to feel through my own story, like, why is it so hard? Why are there not tools that actually make it easier for groups to effectively band together seven days a week and not just one day a week? And so that that is really where the culmination of my story led to deciding to develop Relay. I had worked at a couple other software companies and um, I had taught myself to code a little bit. I, I have a friend who's much better at coding than I am. And so he and I started building the app together as a side project. Uh, and quickly realized that 
um, existing groups we had talked to and therapists I'd known were like, this would be super interesting to help our groups, you know, better implement and track these parts of the program that we're already working on. And guys I had talked to who were yeah a little too scared to go to an in-person group or just l- wanting a little bit more consistent, like accessible group support were like, this would be perfect for me. And so we started testing it out, I think with 50 or a hundred guys here locally. Um, and just, we're getting a ton of feedback around, you know, verse version of the app, like here's what sucks about it. And here's what's great. And we took that really seriously. And kind of what the process has been from there is, um, like building out this tool that is really effective at helping people find tight knit support. And then once they have that through our app, facilitating meaningful connection and shame free accountability, those are like the core pillars of the app. If we can help people find deep connection, accessible seven days a week and shame-free accountability built around those inputs that we talked about. Um, We can help people create behavioral change and and we're focused on unwanted sexual behavior, healing from sexual brokenness right now. Um, But the vision is really, we want this to be used for, for any type of behavioral health and change. Uh, We recently started doing groups for, for women with eating disorders and that's been super inspiring to see and learn how they've been able to, to get value from the product. Um, And maybe I'll just summarize kind of like a couple specific, like, you know, what does the app actually do? How does it actually help people? Um, One, one insight I heard. So we have this feature called the red flag. It's like an SOS button that if you tap it, it makes it easy to just ping the group and they can know that you're feeling off or need some additional support. And so I I heard the story of someone who noticed uh, they were feeling stressed. It was late at night. um, And they know that that kind of is a precursor to acting out. They were able to tap the red flag when otherwise they would usually have a hard time typing out a message because uh, they would feel awkward about it. And their group was able to jump in late at night on a moment's notice and say, hey, man, how you feeling? Like, we're here for you. Um, they were able to have a quick conversation and that helped that guy recenter. Um, and so the, the red flag and reducing the friction, I think, to reach out. We have some other ways that we're helping start meaningful conversations. So like someone... Uh, is assigned to select a weekly conversation topic from a l- series of prompts that we've compiled. Um, anywhere from from those uh, tools to also helping people track those inputs and customize whether it is the morning exercise, the daily uh, prayer, studying the Bible, whatever it is, they're tracking those things. And people have commented on how nice it is to feel like everyone's in the same boat. And so there is kind of some visibility and accountability around those things. Um, but maybe whereas before, my spouse was holding me accountable and it felt kind of shameful or I was incentivized to be a dishonest because I don't want to let her down. Um, we're seeing groups and relay just feel extremely motivated and excited, um, to stay on top of, of being accountable in a healthy way. That's actually motivating them and leading to change. Yeah. So briefly, how would you define, um, uh, cause we got a couple minutes left. How would you define what you call shame-free accountability? And then, yeah. um, where can our listeners go to find out more about the app? Yeah, I, I think I would define shame-free accountability as a- accountability that makes you like, it, it helps facilitate honesty and makes you want to continue to to put forth effort or put more effort into completing whatever you're being accountable to um, as opposed to shameful accountability which maybe makes me want to be less honest it makes me feel less motivated to to keep trying at things I, I think some of this you can control on your own but I do think having an environment where you know that people are are not going to judge you where you know that you can be accountable to things that you can control um, that you 
you know, we'll feel supported when you're being successful. You'll feel encouraged when you're not. Um, I think that's kind of the vibe around shame-free accountability that, um, that I've seen. And that that's what we're trying to, to replicate in relay. Yeah. You know, one of the, uh, one of the ways that we distinguish between the two is we, we call one a grace-based environment and the other one is a performance-based environment. Yes. And we say <laughs> the out, the outcome of performance is always going to be motivated by fear. Uh, but the outcome of grace is always going to be motivated by joy. Yes. And there is a sense in which you've got that shame free. It's like, there is a joyful sense of like, you know what, even though this is hard, even though it's uncomfortable at times to have to share some of the things I'm sharing, I'm in a group that is saying we're all wanting to actually have a, a similar outcome where we're free from this. So I think that's great that you're doing that. Where can our listeners go to find out more about the the app? Yeah. So our website, you can learn more at it's www.joinrelay.app. Uh, it's also on the app stores for iPhone and Android. If you just search relay improve together, that's kind of the tagline uh, that we're developing and you can find it there. And and I will say too, uh, I know a lot of people, like some may have a group, some may not. Um, about half of the people on our platform are using it with their existing groups kind of as a way to help them better stay connected and accountable. Um, and about the other half don't have a group. And so we help make it easy and not scary to get matched with other peers who are in the same boat working through it with you. So, so yeah, you can look it up on the app stores or on the website. Maybe we can put a link in the description or something. But um, yeah, that's where you can learn more. And, and like, like we talked about today, I, we're really building it because I care so much that we all stop struggling alone, that we ditch the shame and realize that we're all on this journey together, whether we're struggling with the exact same thing or something else that's challenging. Uh, I just have come to feel like there's so much power in helping unite together in a really effective way to to become our best selves together with God yeah. and with each other. Well, Chandler, this has been a great conversation, um, and we will put all of that in the in the show notes. Uh, but thank you for what you're doing and and being open about your journey, and also just uh, seeking to help other people. So, thanks for being with us today, thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Yeah. And listeners, um, we are going to put the links and all of that in the show notes, um, but uh, we are glad that you've been here. Without you, we can't do this program. Um, so we look forward to helping you take your next best step on your journey to freedom. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.